Well, we're going to jump into our series of discovering who Jesus is. And remember, we've promised this entire year, whether we're together or we're in quarantine and live streaming, that we were going to preach Jesus and explore and discover together who He is. So, right before we begin, two words. First of all, to all the moms, the moms-to-be, or those that have served as a, a, a mom in somebody's life in some way, even if it wasn't a biological connection, we want to have a, we have a gift for you. And if you'll hang around at the end of this live stream, uh, I'll share what that gift is at the end. Also, to any of the children that are watching the family, a few weeks ago I asked you to draw a picture for me of the scriptures that we used. And I'm going to do that again, invite you to draw that picture or use the, uh, the coloring sheet that Scott Siegel made available through, with the children's resources. But you can draw or color in the scene that you're going to see with Jesus today. And I would love for you to share that back with us. We're putting up a text message number that you, at the bottom of the screen. And what you'll do is have your parents take a picture of that at, when you're finished with it and just text it to that number, share it with us because we would love to see these and then share them back with you uh, at some other time. And just know that you're listening and growing in God's Word with us. Well, we're in Luke. We're in the Gospel of Luke. And if you have a scripture journal, I want you to open it up. We're going to be in chapter 17. And while you're finding that, just remind you that we've been going through this series of discovering who Jesus is, learning, exploring what His mission is, and how He is, is um, leading and calling us into His, His presence. So, as we jump into this, I'm going to share a, a part of it that began, for me, a, a journey a long, long time ago. And if you read the very first part of chapter 17 in verse 5, well, I'm just going to read this out loud because there's just one phrase that I want you to understand. It says, The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. When I was thinking about increase our faith, what a request, what a prayer that is to grow my faith somehow. And I can remember I grew up in a, church, in a home where, where Jesus was um, followed. And we, we, I remember from as young as I can that Jesus was always, I was always led to believe he is the person that I'm going to give my life to. We were active in church growing up. But a strange thing happened to me. Even though I grew up in this incredible situation, I went out to my college of choice and I was going to be a Bible major. And so here I was studying for ministry, and as a Bible major, I remember showing up in my first college Bible class, suddenly realizing I didn't know that much about the Bible. Now, I, I was come to learn, but it struck me early on that somebody that had grown up around the Bible, I had not developed the ability to how to study the Bible on my own. And I wonder now, how was my faith going to increase? Well, that stuck with me for a long time. And one of the things that I've wanted to bring into my ministry was I help to people understand the Bible. Because I know that so often it can seem like this book, which is actually a collection of books, can seem so distant, like it was written at a completely different time and it doesn't apply to us today. Or how do you navigate all the different, it looks like it's got secrets in it and codes and you have to figure it out and decode it somehow. That's not the case. And so I've made a part of my ministry to always want to be able to explain God's Word in a clear, 
relevant way. And I get so much feedback that I'm so grateful for this encouragement that you'll send. And on a regular basis, I'll get an email or a text message like the ones I got this week that said, thank you for helping make that, that possible for us to understand. Thank you for saying it in such a way that we get it. And that means the world to me, and I'm so grateful for that. So, but I've had this thought, what if I was able to show you how to study also? how to read it, and then equip you to read on your own. About a year ago, that's right about about a year ago, Jared Benedict, a member of our church and myself, we had a, the opportunity to travel to see our missionaries in Uganda, and in Bali, Uganda, and show you a picture of Leland and Gina Sawyer. They're in this picture with one of the local pastors in the area, and this is Pastor John who's with. And here's a group shot of Pastor John and myself and Jared and several other local pastors that we came together to know. And while you're looking at that, I want to tell you that what we discovered, and we went in these rural African villages and places where they had like a well, and that was the entire water source for the entire village, they were studying their Bible together. And the way that they did it is the way that I want to teach you today. And this is a thing that works around the world in any culture, at any age. And I believe it's a simple method, but a powerful one in this. And so we did that day as we sat around with a cup of what was then African tea. And we shared a drink together and some fellowship together. And we talked about our churches and we talked about God's Word. And I want to tell you that I've already reached out to Leland uh, during this time, and I said, How are, how's Pastor John? How's these churches? How are these brothers and sisters of us around the world doing during this time of crisis? And Leland was very quick to say, Scott, what they want to know, they're doing great, but they want to know how you guys are doing. And they're asking, how is our brothers and sisters in America doing? And I thought that was so powerful, as we thought they would be the ones that we need to be praying for. They are praying for us. And what a great thing for the church to come together during this time. Well, what we got to sit around and do that day was share God's Word. And they called it a Discovery Bible Study. And there's different names for it, but I'm going to use today's passage. I'm going to preach today's passage. And there's going to be a message here, but I also want to teach today's and teach you a way that you can read God's Word together. And you can understand it and study on your own, especially as you go through the Gospel of Luke, perhaps. Maybe as you spend time in your scripture journal, or as you spend time in your Bible, with your app, whatever it is that you can be learning and growing through this together. So Luke 17 will have the story that we'll use. And the first thing that you do is you read the story. You read whatever part of scripture you're trying to study, you're trying to gain insight from. And so first thing, let's read this together. And here's our story. It's, it's not many verses. It's about eight or nine verses. And it's going to begin in verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were clean, cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. 
your faith has made you well. Now, when you do this, I want to encourage you, read and reread. You can see in mine, there are notes all over this place. And it's because I would read and reread, and then I would share with somebody else and our staff, and we would go over this together, and they would share insights and things that jumped out and was making the Word real to me and helping me to understand what this particular part of Scripture is saying. So read and reread until you can come to a sense that you have what's going on, you have the scope of what's going on here. And then I want to give you four questions. And I want you to write these questions down as we go. And these questions you can apply to any part of Scripture. You can apply it to the Old Testament, to the New Testament, and these will lead you, it's a very simple structure to lead you through as you increase your faith. Now, at the very beginning, I want to make something very clear. We don't read the Bible so that God will love us more. We don't earn the privilege somehow. We don't read the Bible and somehow obligate God to do something on our behalf. God, I'll, I'll read or I'll do something right or I'll follow a discipline if you'll be nicer to me or better to me or if you'll bless my family somehow. We read the Bible to discover how much God already loves us. And that's what the message is here. So here's the first question I want you to take away. As we dive into this, first question is this. What does this story teach us about Jesus? And if you're in the Old Testament, what does this story teach us about God? All of Scripture points towards Jesus, even in the Old Testament. It is one unified story, even though it was written over thousands of years together. And it's all pointing to the star of the show, and that's Jesus. And so any place in Scripture you can be learning about who Jesus is and discovering His, his inherent traits and character. And so with this, we have Jesus and he's coming along and he's walking into a town and suddenly we encounter 10 lepers. Now, you may be familiar with that term, but it's referring to the disease of leprosy, which in today's world is Hansen's syndrome. But that's a very limited range. This would have been a much more broad category and would have had to do with any type of infectious skin-related disease. And as we have all recently learned about trying to control infection and stand at a distance from one another, that was the practice of the day for anyone that contracted leprosy. You were required to stand outside the social circles. You were required to not be in the place where people could be in crowded places and come into contact with you. There's even accounts that people would have to say, Shout out, we're unclean, we're unclean, we're unclean, to give a warning to someone coming down the road so that they did not come too close. And it requires you to, in many ways, leave your family. You didn't get to go quarantine at home. You had to leave your family and gain and become part of a leprosy colony, a leper colony in many ways, these groups that would roam around. And they were basically marginalized to begging for their existence. Well, Jesus comes into this town, and apparently there's a group of ten. And notice even the scripture says they stood at a distance. We know what that feels like now, don't we? For as we're in this, I know that so many are craving and longing for the time when we actually get back together and you can get or give a hug again and no longer feel the need to stay at a certain distance like this. Well, imagine not just for a season, but for your life. These men are at a distance. And they're cut off from anybody that's not suffering 
the same affliction that they are. And they cry out, they lift up their voices, and they say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on this. And if you remember, already in Luke, we've seen Jesus. He's got power over the storms. He's got power over the demons. He's got power over disease and even power over death. And so the word is out about Jesus. And so we see him be responsive here. And so it says, when he saw them, he speaks a command to him. He says, go and show yourselves to the priest. Now that may be a little strange to you and me. Go and show yourselves to the priest. But it was the priest is the one that could then declare you clean again. So he's telling them to go. And he's not even healing them right there on the spot. He says, go show yourself to the priest. And what he's commanding them to do is to go and be declared clean again by the one that could do that. By the one that would be accepted in their society as doing that which would allow them to re-enter into the world. In fact, they could not be around people again until a priest had declared them clean. He could release them from their quarantine in many ways. And so he tells them to do this. So we learn that, that Jesus is active in their life. And then he says, when he saw... I'm sorry, verse, uh, let's go to verse 14. He said, go show yourself to the priest. And then as they, as they went... They were cleansed. Now notice how the miracle happened. Jesus gives them a command, go to the priest so he can declare you clean. And on their way, the healing happens. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and praised God with a loud voice. And he comes back to Jesus. So let's ask ourselves the question, what do we learn about Jesus? We learn once again that Jesus has the power to heal. Jesus has the power to radically change your situation. Again, whether it's going to be storms, whether it's going to be sickness, whether it's going to be disease, or it's going to be struggle, whatever it is, Jesus can step in. And they had heard about his power, and they cried out to him. And what an incredible prayer that is. And it's a, it's a prayer of desperation. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And Jesus hears the prayer and Jesus assumes the role of healer once again. And we also know that Jesus' healing doesn't have boundaries on it. It doesn't have markers on it that says it's only going to go this far or it's this limited. Because in just a few lines we learn that the one that came back was a Samaritan. Now if you remember when we studied the parable of the Good Samaritan, Samaritans were outcast without being lepers. They, they were considered... Uh, not true uh, people of God. They were considered in, in the coarsest language that they were half-breeds because it was where Jewish people had intermarried with others and they were not considered to be faithful. They were looked down on and disdained. And Jesus doesn't recognize the social norm of the day and heals this leper. So Jesus is a healer. And Jesus doesn't, isn't restricted to healing only a certain set, a certain kind of person, a certain time in a certain way. So I wonder how he can heal in your life. How can Jesus step in when you cry out, have mercy on me? How can he step in and how would you want him to step in and fix something that's on your heart? Maybe it's not a physical situation but it's an emotional one, or it's a financial one, or it's a stressful one. 
How would you step into a relationship that you've considered broken beyond repair and begin to heal that and bring what had been at a great distance back together again? Jesus has that power. In fact, we get so caught up in thinking the answer is so often going to be found in other places. But here in this scripture, these men were desperate, so they cry out to the one place that they can. How often does that describe our situation? And there's an invitation to cry out to the one place that we can. So that brings us to the second question that I want us to ask. What does this teach us about people? I want you to write that one down. What does this particular passage teach us about people. And let me just add to it, if you're taking notes, more importantly, what does this teach me about me? What, what does reveal this, what does Scripture reveal about me in my heart and my, my situation? And so look at this as you go. These guys cry out and Jesus cleanses them or gives them instruction to go. And on the way they're cleansed. And so then one of them, verse 15, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turns back so he has this, there's this realization by all of them as they go, as they're moving towards the priest, that they've been healed. They've been cleansed of this. And so he turns back and he comes running back and he, with a loud voice, he praises God. He falls on his face at Jesus' feet and he gives thanks. And that's where he says, now he was a Samaritan. Then verse 17, then Jesus answered, we're not ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? No, Jesus isn't talking down to him here. But Jesus is recognizing in this one that this is the least likely of them to return. And we're wondering, why didn't the other nine return? And I'm going to give you my best theory here. Because I think this reveals something about us. Is this, what do we learn about ourselves in this? Is that when they were sick with leprosy, the other nine, which I'm assuming because Jesus identifies this as the foreigner, the other nine were Jewish people. And when they were all afflicted with this horrible disease and this outcast lifestyle and living on the margins and in the fringes, only then out of desperation would they allow the Samaritan into their midst. But once the healing occurred, the old social rules kicked back in. And even though they themselves were healed and the Samaritan had been healed along with them, now they were different. And they fell in love with the norm, the status quo that used to be. And I believe what happened here is that he's now excluded from the group. And isn't that fascinating how easily we can exclude people? How easily we can draw lines around people. How easy it is to put him in a category. Because see, they used to be in the same category. They were all lepers. And then suddenly they were cleansed, and they were heal, healed, and now they were Jewish and he was a Samaritan. And now they're in different categories. And so groupthink or something kicks in, and so now he's excluded. And so he runs and he returns to Jesus because he is so grateful for that. So I think one thing this reveals about ourselves as we look at this, we apply this question to this particular story about Jesus, is that we struggle with being grateful, don't we? We struggle with gratitude. Now, this is just a practical matter. I know many of us struggle to write thank you notes. And I know 
good moms out there are always having us write thank you notes. And we're in a season as we're in this crazy graduation season now. We're, we're writing thank you notes for gifts that are given and how important that is. Well, how often are we grateful for what Jesus has given us? For the healing in your life. How, how many prayers do I look back in my own life? Have I prayed, God, please do something, please do something, please do something. And it's stressful and it's real and it's important at the time. And then God does something on my behalf and I've so quickly forgotten what he's done on my behalf. Because I think this reveals one more thing about us. Is that gratitude and humility go hand in hand. See, I think part of the problem with the nine was suddenly they were no longer going to be associated with the one, the foreigner, the Samaritan, the outcast, and their ego, their pride, something got in the way, and so suddenly they felt elevated above, and only the, the humble one can come back and actually give thanks to Jesus, give thanks and praise to the one that provided that healing. And so if we want to increase our gratitude, we increase our humility. If we increase our humility, we increase our gratitude. They go hand in hand. And I think this is what this passage teaches about ourselves and reveals to me is that gratitude, again, not something that I work on to curry God's favor. Not something that I work on to get God to pay attention to me. Because remember, all nine were healed before they even had the opportunity to come back and say thank you. Before and even without coming back and saying thank you, they're still healed. But this is to recognize what God has done in my life for me to acknowledge that and find all the more reasons to praise Him. The third question is this. Share this with me. Write this down. If I take this seriously, what will I do about it? If I take this seriously, what will I do about it? This is an obedience question. And again, I want you to apply to this, this any scripture you come across. And so here's maybe another way to remember it. If I take this seriously, what will I do about it? Or maybe you need to finish this statement. This week, I will finish it in. So as you look at this brief encounter that Jesus has with these men, these ten lepers, as we learn about His healing power and our call to be grateful and humble before it, what will you do about that? If you were to take this passage seriously, what would it change in your world? What, what does it bring into your focus? He says, now there's something that I need to have in my life. There's a habit that I need to build. There's a motivation. Once again, not because you're trying to earn something from God. That's works righteousness, and that's not what I'm talking about here. But because He's been so good to us, how can I have this response of, of in a loud voice, Praising God. So, as you practice this, and we practice this today on this particular verse, what I encourage you to do is make a gratitude list. I didn't challenge you this week to find three things each day that you're grateful for. That's been a real sustaining practice that we've done many times throughout this, this quarantine, this sheltering place that we've been in. But I would encourage you each day, whether it's morning, or at night, I'd recommend in the morning. So that your day goes through with gratitude on what Jesus has done in your life. Find something to be grateful for that God is actively doing in your life. And see if that doesn't begin to change. If that doesn't begin to open up more and more things. And again, oftentimes it's just that we're not looking in the right place. 
or we're not just, we don't have our sensors tuned the right way. Several months ago, uh, I gave a sermon, and I used an illustration in the sermon that was along this line. I said, sometimes we just need to be paying attention to what's around us. And I said, count the number of red trucks that you see on the road. And I don't know if anybody heard anything else in that sermon, but I got dozens of text messages and emails the next day saying, saying, I cannot believe how many red trucks we saw on the road. And it was six or eight or nine. And I had people sending me pictures of red trucks. And people were saying, they're everywhere. It's because you started looking for them. And as we start looking for what God's done in our life, for what Jesus has done in life, the healing that he's came, come into, I'll find many, many reasons to praise him. See, it is so easy for me to get caught up in the things that bother me. And why isn't this happening for me? Or why isn't that happening for me? Or why can't my life be more like, and I fill in the blank with someone, instead of saying, Jesus, what have you done for me? And when I do that, it begins to change my entire attitude. And it humbles me. And it does make me grateful. I believe this week, if we practice gratitude, both for what Jesus has done, and maybe you need to seek out somebody else in your life that you can be grateful to, practice gratitude, it will be a life-altering habit to build. So here's the fourth and final question is this, that I want you to apply to any text. Who do I know that needs to hear this message? Who do you know that once you've studied and come in contact with Scripture that needs to hear this message? So here's a challenge for, for the week. I will share this with blank. Now, this is a powerful principle, and this is, again, whether it's you and I through this live stream or it's our brothers and sisters around the world in Africa, even sitting in a mud-built church or under a shade tree as they studied together, they would commit to one another to share this with somebody else. Now, this is a powerful principle. And that what it made me think of is a, and a story from my eighth grade year. When I was in eighth grade and I took eighth grade algebra with Mrs. Thompson, Mrs. Thompson was one of those wise wonderful teachers that make all teachers look so good. And the reason that you want to be a teacher is because of somebody like Miss Thompson. Because she seemed to know not just her subject of math and algebra, but she seemed to understand us as people. And so in, my, in that class, sitting right behind me was a guy named Carrie. And I wasn't great at math, but Carrie struggled a lot too. And so what Miss Thompson allowed is after she gave the lesson, she would let me actually turn around and talk to Carrie and go over the lesson again with him and review it with him and teach him basically what she had just taught. Now, why she let an eighth grade snotty-nosed kid do this, I don't know, but she let me do it and I turned around and I would share the lesson with Carrie. And then at mid-year, when we changed from one semester to the next, Carrie changed class periods. It was no longer in it. And we're about six weeks into this new semester, and I realize my grade is plummeting. And I go up to Ms. Thompson, and I'm saying, I don't get it. I, my grade is going down the tubes there. And she didn't miss a beat. She goes, it's because you're not having to teach Carrie. And what she understood was the powerful principle of, as we try to teach somebody else, we're the ones learning that's why I think I've got the best job in the world. Because I get to, on a regular basis, dive into Scripture and not just try to absorb it for myself, but try to share it with you. 
And I love it, and I'm so grateful that I get to do it. But here's the secret. We all can do this. And so each time you come to Scripture, each time you come to a story like this one, and you're trying to understand, I want you to think, who can I share this with? Who will this encourage? Maybe with this one, practically, because it's who do I need to go say thank you to for playing a role in my life that helped lead me to Jesus, that helped build my faith, that helped encourage me? Who can you reach out and say, hey, I was reading about these lepers and one was grateful. And I want you to know that I'm grateful for what you've done in my life to help show me Jesus more clearly. Now, I'd say make that phone call, send that text, write that email, and you will change somebody's week, guaranteed. And so each time you come to this, who can you share this with? Because once again, in the sharing, you're blessing someone else, and you're also learning and growing yourself. You're increasing your faith. It's a powerful story. Jesus walks along, and a group of people cry out, have mercy on us. And as I said before, is that not a powerful prayer? That's the cry that we have as we go through life. Have mercy on us. And could you not use more mercy in your life? Now, when we're the ones that are in the tight spot, when we're the ones that are desperate, we want mercy. Sometimes when we see somebody else, we want them to get justice, right? But mercy is what Jesus offers up. Mercy is the one, is, is, comes from the one who will step into our socially distanced, unclean, on the margin, in the fringe life, and he can heal there. And that's exactly what he does. But it's a healing that comes at a cost. Not a cost to you and me. But he will take on our diseases. He will take on our sin. And he will become the one that's outcast, that's set apart, that's cut off from the Father. He will take it on to the point of experiencing death so that you and I do not need to bear that burden. That you and I can be cleansed in a way that we could not clean ourselves. We can't make our own mess clean enough. We can't heal our own selves healthy enough. We can't work hard enough. But Jesus does. And then when he says at the very end, he says, rise and go, your faith has made you well. He's not saying, well, you had a certain amount of faith or you worked really hard for it or you had, you know, X amount of faith on the faith scale and so therefore you got healed. What he's telling this leper and telling us is, you put your faith in the right thing. You put your faith, more importantly, in the right person. And he's saying that's the faith that made you well. Well, as we wrap up, I was reminded about one of my favorite illustrations from a hero, somebody in history. His name is Father Damien, and Father Damien was a Catholic priest that, that uh, a couple hundred years ago served in the Hawaiian Islands where there was actually a leper colony. And he ministered among this group of people that were still, because we didn't know how to treat disease, socially outcast. And they were contained in these quarantine groups. And Father Damon served faithfully here among this ragtag bunch of people that had been ostracized by the rest of society. And he served faithfully, encouraging, and tended their needs. And then one day, 
as he's preparing to go lead the worship service together. He's shaving and he pours hot water on his foot and he doesn't feel anything. And so at that moment, he realizes that he has contracted the disease and it's already begun to numb his extremities. So Father Damien gets up at the worship service that he's going to lead that day and he's going to talk about the Jesus that he loves so much, the Jesus that loves this group of ragtag, pitiful-looking lepers so much, and he gives them hope every week by this. He gets up and he greets them, My fellow lepers, I am one of you now. And in that moment, he models what it is for Jesus to step into our life. For Jesus not to stand at a social distance. For Jesus not to stand far and removed, but to stand, I am one with you. And to take on all that burden us and all that corrupts us and all that, that is killing us in so many ways. And Jesus does that. So if for any other reason, there's something to be grateful for. There's an invitation to receive. There's how close contact Jesus wants to come into you. And what's incredible is that's what happens in the Lord's Supper. When we share the communion together, whether we're all together or we're in our own homes this way, the key is that it's Jesus' meal, and He's the one present, and He's the one that's inviting us to sit down and share a meal with Him.